Welcome to the Recruiter Abroad podcast. My name's Dota Daherty, and in this podcast series, I will be interviewing expat recruiters who have emigrated around the world. This week, I'm speaking to James Hine. He's from the UK, started his career in Bristol, and managed to get a move to Bangkok in Thailand. We have a great chat about his life there and what it's like to do business. Hope you all enjoy this uh, episode. Really informative. Uh, I didn't know anything about the market there, so it's really cool to kind of get into the detail on that. Last week, I spoke to Stuart Cherry, and we've had a massive response on that episode. So uh, it's really glad you all enjoyed that. And Stuart talked all about New York. And next week, I'll be speaking to David Eyre about his life in Western Australia and Sydney. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, do let me know and uh, and yes, yeah, send it to a friend and give us a like and share on LinkedIn and uh, and let me know if you want to come on the show or you know anybody who I should be interviewing. Hope you all have a great week and you're enjoying the World Cup and I wish you all the best. James Hayne. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Yeah, glad to be on the show. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Recruiter Abroad show. I've given everybody a little bit of a rundown on your background, but I suppose uh, I'm really interested in to kind of get into the detail today and how that uh, ended up with you moving to Thailand. Sure. So firstly, how did you get into our weird and wonderful industry? Well, I'm sure as a rec to rec, you've probably heard this a thousand times before. So uh, I didn't plan to be a recruiter. I didn't go to university with the, the end game to be a recruiter. So I actually did a pretty pointless degree at university, uh, history and international relations for anyone that's interested and sort of finished and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I certainly didn't want to be a politician. Certainly didn't want to be a historian or a teacher. And um you know, I had very little options and was sat there thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And uh, I had a friend, funnily enough, he, his nickname was Sketchy John, which should have really have uh, rang alarm bells at the time. But he recruitment. Um, he had no better qualifications than I had, and he was earning very, very good money. And, uh, you know, it was literally as simple as that. Picked his brains about it, thought, if he can do it, I can do it. And, and, and there we are. So Sketchy John was your role model? Well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but Sketchy John was uh, my, my inspiration to get into the recruitment business. And uh, where, where was this? Was this Bristol that you started? Yeah, so this, this was Bristol. I mean, uh, originally I'm, I'm from the Midlands, which you might be able to pick up from my accent, but I, I moved down to Bristol for university. Really, really loved the city um, and decided to, to kind of make life there after university. Um, it's a great city, Bristol. Um, Absolutely. What part did you live in? I lived all over, but it was predominantly the, the sort of Redland and Clifton area. Yeah, the Clifton so area around Yeah, really, really nice. I, I think for me, like Bristol's just got a little bit of everything. It's, uh, 
it's not too big it's not too small but you, you know you can find whatever you're looking for there you know whether it's a, a, a quiet pint or you know a, a mad weekend it's it's certainly got everything it's one of my favorite uk cities i'd say brighton is probably close to it in the... do, you, do you know what i've never actually been to brighton i mean i'm pretty well traveled in the uk and the, the the only two places that i haven't really been for a night out is brighton and newcastle and i've heard very very good things about both of them so if i'm if i'm ever back i need to check them out very good so you got into recruitment in 2007 which uh which, yep. which which means you're a real vet at this stage and you're, <laughs> you're you're by no means an old guy uh so you got in real early but yeah did you get in just before the gfc the global yeah. financial crisis yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll, um, I'll give you a little bit of a, a background, a, a brief history. So I started with a company called Options Employment. I, I believe they are still uh, traded in one form or another. They're a, a construction recruiter. So they do blue collar and white collar construction. So I joined as a resourcer. I, I still think, you know, that's the, the, the kind of the best um, foundation for a recruiter to go through, you know, joining as a resorter, learning the candidate side of things first. So that was, you know, that was excellent. But, you know, business was booming when I joined, you know, the office was growing, um, you know, people were having their record months, their, their, their record year, the year before, and everything was rosy. And there, yeah, literally, you know, what felt like overnight, it just, it just exploded. You, you know, it just went from, um, yeah, from, from that to, to absolutely nothing. What was that day like? Well, I, I, I'll never forget it. So we'd obviously seen um, that we'd gone from having loads and loads of jobs and no candidates to loads and loads of candidates and no jobs. And, you know, we, we weren't stupid. We knew it wasn't sustainable. Mm. Um, and one morning, our, our boss, uh, David, uh, he, he called a meeting and he said, look, I'm going to have to let a lot of you go. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you all individually on your phone. He goes, come to my office. We'll do what we've got to do and you'll be on your way. So this was at about eight o'clock in the morning being a construction recruiter. We started early. So we kind of had a feeling that we were going to leave and it was, you know, a close knit team. So what I said to the lads is I said, the ones that we're, um, you know, going to get the chop, we'll go and meet in Weatherspoons over the road and have a breakfast and a couple of pints to drown our sorrows. And I think the company went from like 25 to, um, about 10. Uh, so it was over half the workforce who just called into his office one after another, let go and ended up in the Weatherspoons over the road. Was it a good day in Weatherspoons after a couple of pints? <laughs> it was actually, yeah. Until about three o'clock when the reality of it all kicked in, you know, being my first job, I thought it was the end of the world, you know, getting made redundant and, you know, eight pints of Stella down your neck. It's, uh, you don't know, you don't know how you're going to come back from that, but you know, that, that, that's life. Yeah. Um, so what was what did you do then? How, how you were looking for a job in in the greatest recession ever? Your skills as, yep. as a recruiter, you know, it's hard to hard, hard to basic. Yeah, yeah basic. You know, I, I I was a resourcer. You know, I certainly wasn't a three hundred and sixty recruiter. I couldn't really add much value to, to 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 many companies. You know, companies were letting people go rather than taking people on. And if they were taking people on, it was only going to be you know really experienced people with networks that could, could build. So I certainly wasn't that at the time. Um, I got lucky and it was someone I, I know and they, um, they knew someone that worked for a medical recruitment company. Um, they were on the NHS framework 
And essentially it was short-term locum doctors. So it could be covering a 24-hour shift. It could be a, a one-month locum, whatever it may be. It was contract recruitment, essentially. Mm. But the, the good thing was it was recession-proof um, to a degree. You know, the NHS had their budgets already planned. Um, the hospitals needed doctors. So it was, it was a, a steady place to be. And I was there for two and a half years. And it suited me, to be honest. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't 360 recruitment. Um, so, you know, I could kind of bed into the, um, you know, the, the, the job a little bit more. It was in the worst recession sort of known in, 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 at that time anyway. It's almost, and, it's almost uh, like you're hiding out for a couple of years. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was at that period of my life, really, where a serious job wasn't really on the agenda. I was, I was enjoying my party and, you know, I was, I was more living for the weekends than I was thinking about a career. So it, it suited me down to the ground. What, um, what I would uh, give to go back to that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you, 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 know, it's, uh, you, you know, it's all memories now and they, they were good times. But, you, you know, you move on, don't you? So then you get your proper first 360 recruitment role. You do that for a year and then you move on to Modus. That's right. Yeah. So the, 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 the guy who I first worked for at Options, so I was his resourcer. Um, I bumped into him just randomly in, uh, in, in Bristol City Centre one lunchtime. And he was saying, look, I'm divisional manager at Modus. I'm, I'm building a team. Look, I, I, I pretty much trained you. He goes, I, I know you can do the job. He goes, there's a job there if you want it. And I was at Experis at the time. Good company. You, you know, it's really nice people, really nice team. Um, you know, some good memories there. Um, but it just felt right to go and move over um, to, 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 to Modus. And I'm glad I did. Um, great company. Um, fantastic office. You know, still really, really close with, with most of the guys there. Owned by and, a deco, uh, yeah. right? It's owned by Deco, so yeah, it's one. It's the, the kind of the te- technical IT part of the Deco, okay. or one of them, I should say. So you're you're there. You're there for four years, three months, which is a lifetime for uh, mm. for a young recruiter in an agency. Uh, yep. At what point did you think, Do you know what, I'm going to I'm going to move abroad, and I'm not just going to move anywhere. I'm going to move to Thailand. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, mo- most people that know me probably could have seen it coming. Um, I, I regularly went over to Asia to break up the British winters. I, I hate cold weather. Um, I came over to Thailand very regularly before I decided to move here. I fell in love with the place. Um, you know, I, I love the weather. I love the culture, the food. Um, I, I met a girl over here at the time and, you know, I was coming over to, to sort of see her. And I think as well, you know, also side by side to that, I got to 30 years of age. Um, I didn't really have much keeping me in the UK. Um, obviously, I got my friends, my family. Um, my football team had got relegated. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it seemed like a good, good time as, as any to go. And it just felt right. So, you know, I just, I just put my CV out there and, you know, here I am. So... What is it that you love about the culture of Thailand? What, what, what is it that drew you in exactly? Um, what drew me in? Um, oh, a, a few things. Um, as, as I said, I think the weather and the food are, are, the, are the, the, the two things, the two main things. I, I, I love Thai food. I love spicy food. I just like the way of life here. You, you, you know, it's very laid back. You, you know, the people are, are friendly. They're, they're warm. 
Um, you, you know, you can walk into a bar and you can just get talking to strangers. And, um, you, you know, it just seemed like a very, very friendly, friendly, laid back place. And it just kind of suited my personality. It sounds like the complete opposite of being a London-based recruiter. <laughs> yeah, but, you, you know, there's, there's for, for as good as that is from a, a lifestyle perspective, it can be tricky from a, a, a kind of a work perspective, um, yeah. if that makes sense. I, I do sometimes strive for that kind of that fast-paced, you know, we want it done now or we want it done yesterday mentality, which sometimes is lacking here. So you pinned your... You pinged a resume out there. What? What did you did you jump on LinkedIn? Did you did you see if there was any English speaking? How did that? How did that? Go yeah, what was the process? So essentially, my, my my first point to call was looking internally within the Adeco group. And to be honest, I didn't really take that seriously. I had one conversation with one of the mobility people within Adeco. Um, there's Adeco over here, and there's Spring Personnel, which is their IT brand, which I know very well from the UK. Um, it just didn't really appeal to me. I, I kind of felt that I wanted a fresh start out of the ADECO group. When I first joined Modis, they'd only recently just been taken over from ADECO. And over time, ADECO were kind of eroding all the good things from Modis, in my opinion. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the kind of the people that I looked up to had left and, and, and moved on to other places. So I wanted a fresh start. So, yeah, it was, it was literally that. I, I, I got on LinkedIn. I first had to establish that you could do this job without speaking Thai because even now my Thai is awful. So yeah. I had to think that was possible. So I looked on LinkedIn and I spotted that there was, you know, foreign uh, Western people over here doing recruitment. Um, and then I came across the, the, the profile of my, my now boss. Um, and he was actually the first person I sent my CV to. Um, had a couple of interviews with him, a telephone interview, a telephone interview with his boss. Uh, one with our chairman in the UK, um, and that yeah, I was I was offered the job, and you were offered the job. Did they did they help you up with flights? Did they get put you in touch with the visa agent? What what what? And yes. I ask these questions because I I have no clue about the Thai market. I've, uh, it's, yes. This is a blank slate for me. Yeah, so um, to, to answer your question, with, with the visa, they were fantastic. So um, they completely handled all of that. I think they must have had an agent here in Thailand that was, that was helping them out. The Thai visa laws are tricky. Um, getting work here as a foreigner is not as straightforward as it is in you know, places like Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, places like that. Um, they were a massive help. The, the, the lady at the time, uh, our HR manager, Sue, she was fantastic. She was always on the end of the phone. Um, I got a load of documents sent to me. I had to go to the embassy in London and get what's called a non-B visa. Mm -hmm. That allowed me to come into the country um, in it for an extended period. And with a non-B visa, they can apply for a work permit. So that was all done once I arrived. Um, in terms of the flights, um, no, that, that was all kind of paid for by myself. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my, my boss was pretty straightforward. He's like, look, you approached us. <laughs> yeah. I was like, fair enough. And, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of people that would dream of working in Thailand. And, you know, being there now, I get approached quite a lot by uh, recruiters from different countries about wanting to work in Thailand. So, you know, for me, it was a dream for me to go over there. So I didn't mind sort of funding. And I actually paid for two lots of flights. I paid for the flights to go over to meet the guys to sort of check it all kosher in the first place. Mm. And then I paid for my flights when I actually moved over. And I, I had no problem doing that.
did part of you think the office didn't exist? Well, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in Thailand. So <laughs> what, what, what I didn't want to do was, you know, turn up on my first day and walk in and be like, what have I done? You know, because as, as much yeah. as I wanted to be in Thailand, you know, I, I had a good job. You know, I, I, I enjoyed living in Bristol. You, you know, it wasn't that I didn't like the place. I love Bristol. I've got loads of mates there. I like working for Modus. I, I had a good, close-knit bunch of mates there. So I was given a lot up and obviously my family as well. So what I didn't want to do was get off that plane and be like, what have I done? What a mistake. So I just wanted to kind of see it with my own two eyes, check it was for real, check the office was for real, check, you know, that it was a reputable company. And you know what? I kind of walked in there and it was just like walking into any office in the UK. You know, they've got a, a gong for, 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 when, uh, for when you do deals. You've got whiteboards with all the interviews and figures on it. It was just, yeah, it was just a, a regular office so uh i i've been to thailand and bangkok's intense like you, mm. you it's like nowhere else it's like nowhere else on earth and it's yeah. it's just it's just a metropolis um yeah. where where was the office based what what was that like you know going well, to that interview well it, it, it's it's funny you say that so uh the office is based and and for the people that have been to bangkok it's in the, the nana district which is quite a renowned part of the city. And I must admit, uh, my girlfriend at the time had mixed feelings when I told her that I, A, had a job in Bangkok, which she was elated with that I was moving over. But then I told her the office was in Nano and she, she wasn't so happy. So, um, yeah. you, you know, it's, it's, it's a renowned area. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's colourful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's colourful. That, that's probably the best way we can probably say. Yeah, some of that stuff's horrendous out there. I'm a bit yeah, I mean, it, it really is, but it's 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 fantastic. And and the, the problem is, you you do become a little bit. I don't know if bored is the, the the right word, but you know, I get friends come over and I get visitors, and you know, I have to go and show show them the site, show them all that sort of stuff. And you know, I can remember the first time I seen it ten years ago when I came here on holiday, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. No, I didn't I didn't know women could do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Oh god, another drink, please. But yeah, it's always just around the corner if I want. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you're there. You find it. The, the the company helped you find an apartment. Is uh, are you getting a lot for your money? I have a friend. I have a cousin who's in Chiang Mai at the moment. And, you know, he's paying yeah. nothing for his apartment. It was was that the yeah. Case? Um, I mean, Chiang Mai and, and Bangkok, the Chiang Mai is a lot cheaper. Um, yeah. In, yeah, it's a lot cheaper in Chiang Mai. I mean, in, in Thailand, you've got pretty much one big city. Chiang Mai is a relatively big city, but it's not like the UK where you've obviously got the hub that's London. Then you've got big cities like, you know, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Sheffield, Newcastle, Bristol that have got, you know, employment and, and, and big populations. You haven't really got that in Thailand. You know, you've got a population of about um, sort of 70 million. And, you know, I think the vast majority of them live in Bangkok. I think one in 10 people in Thailand lives in Bangkok. Um, so, so the prices are higher. Um, to answer your question, um, compared to what I've got in the UK, and, you know, I don't want to make you guys back in the UK jealous, but, you know, I, I live pretty close to the city centre. I look at skyscrapers on the horizon. I've got a a swimming pool, um, jacuzzi, sauna, 
gym, all in, all in the, the, the kind of the, the, uh, the condo box that I live in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm paying about £400 a month. Wow, £400 a month. That's, uh, yeah. that's pretty incredible. You, you, I mean, you can pay more. Um, you, you know, it's one of those cities, and it's, it's the same from your accommodation to, to your food. You know, if you want to pay bargain basements, it's there. Um, if you want to pay, you know, six-star, it's there. So you, you can pay London prices for apartments if, if you want to. But you can also get some very, very good deals in, you know, some, um, you know, decent locations as well. And tell me, so you, you go in there, you get the job, you get the apartment, you're all ready to rock. How do you yep. go about learning recruitment there? Like, what type of stuff were you told from day one hey it's not like home or it is like home or yeah well i mean i mean my my, my boss uh, bless him he he was like yeah you know if you can recruit in the uk you can recruit in thailand and that was that was you know pretty, pretty much the advice and it's true um you, you know it, it is true but there are you know very little or very subtle differences um you, you know in in the uk it's it's a saturated market I think I read somewhere, and you, you, you probably can correct me if I'm wrong on this, there's 25 or, or 26,000 recruitment companies in the UK or something ridiculous like Eight, that. 800 set up last month. 800 set up last month. Well, well, there, well there you go. I mean, in Thailand, um, you know, a country with a, a similar population to the UK, if not more, I'd say there's probably 100 in, in the whole country. There's also, and, you're also going through one of the first ever booms that they had over there, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, they, they, I think they had a, a boom or a boom in the, I think the 90s, but then they had quite a bad drop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it really is booming at the moment. But just on that point, out of the 100 companies, um, and that might even be, you know, a, an exaggeration, there's probably between 10 and 20 that I'd say were established. Wow. You know, we've got more, we've got more than maybe three or four people. Yeah. Um, and the, the kind of the big boys, um, the, the kind of the names that people might know, we've got Robert Walters, we've got Michael Page, um, Adeco, um, Spring Personnel, well, Spring Professional are over here, mm. um, Argyle Scott are here. Um, other than that, you, you know, it's, it's local companies. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. So, on, on a daily basis, are you recruiting expats? Are you recruiting Thai people? What, what, what's that like? And what type of companies are you, are you working for? Where, like, where's the business at? Sure. So uh, to answer your first question, majority Thai. Um, I'd say 90% of the placements I've done since I've been here have been local candidates. As I said earlier, um, the, the visas here are, are, are difficult to get for a lot of professions. There's, there's actually a banned list of professions that foreigners can't do here. Uh, so it can, it can be quite restrictive. Yeah. Um, the, the type of companies we're working with, so I, I work within our IT and technology division. This could be anything from your big multinational household IT names, which are all here right through to, to startup organizations and really everything in between. And, and what's interesting with Thailand is, is that at the moment, the government are, are doing something called Thailand 4.0, which is essentially them trying to bring Thailand to kind of the 21st century and, and put in a lot of investment into, um, into startups and making the economy um, kind of like a breeding, breeding ground for startups. And there's something called the Board of Investments, which is uh, something companies can apply for 
if they've got a unique product or they're developing something in Thailand or they've got a company that's innovative based in Thailand. Mm. And with this status, they get tax breaks. They can employ as many farmers as they like, which is, which is a big bonus, which really does kind of um, add to the appeal for companies coming here and starting up. Because if you look at the other places in the region that are established, you, know, you, you immediately look at Singapore and you probably look at Hong Kong as well and Japan. And, you know, they're very, very expensive places to set up an office. The staffing costs are, are very, very expensive. Thailand is, is a lot cheaper. So it's very attractive for people. So there's a lot of companies starting up here, and it's, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, cool. The, I spoke to Alex Zobelli about Japan a couple of weeks ago. And, <laughs> uh, what, what are you laughing at? Well, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. So um, b- before we, we were obviously doing this podcast, I thought I'd check out a couple of the other ones. And, and Alex's was, was one that I listened to. I think the, the Japan jumped out to me because it's, it's not a million miles away from here. And I guess the culture shock is probably similar in Japan to what it is in, in Thailand for, for a foreigner. So I listened to that one and he had a very interesting story, very, very interesting guy. And um, I, I checked his LinkedIn out and uh, he uh, immediately added me and uh, sent me a message saying if I wanted to relocate to Japan. So you might want to have a word. There's maybe a fee you're missing out on there in the future. Oh, always making deals or Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, well, when you give away the IP, you know, you can't really expect. Absolutely. You can't make can you? Uh, so I, what I was going to ask you with that was he mentioned that some of the business culture took him by surprise and he found that his style was a little bit over yeah. the top aggressive and, and, yeah. and it took him a while to curve that and to really get into it. Was there anything you learned? Any lessons that you could share? Yeah, I mean, that completely resonated with me because that, that was exactly the same for myself. I mean, I'd, I'd come from the UK, uh, which, you know, I think is renowned worldwide as being one of the toughest recruitment markets, if toughest recruitment market you know, you've got to chase, you've got to be quite aggressive. Um, you, you know, you, you're just not going to succeed there. Now, Thai people by nature are quite timid. Um, they're very non-confrontational. Um, and that approach does not work with them. And, and I, I learned that quite quickly. And I, I, I think the, the kind of the eye-opener for me was probably more so in, in our office itself. Um, you know, I, I joined in the September in the December, my, my boss had promoted me to be a, a team leader. I'd started very quickly, um, made some pretty big deals, and, you know, there was a, a spot for an IT team leader. And, you, you know, I'd never really thought about management before, and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's go for it. Now, I inherited quite a, 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 a tricky team, um, you, you know, quite a, a difficult team in, in, in some ways. The one star performer in the team, she moved on um, after a month or so for, for, for other reasons. Um, and I just found it very, very difficult to, to kind of communicate myself um, in a way that kind of motivated people. Um, you know, being in the UK, used to KPIs, used to being drilled on KPIs. And although I didn't really ever have a boss that was a proper sergeant major, you know, your KPIs were looked at. And, you know, people would be quite blunt with you. If you weren't performing, it would be like, well, why aren't you performing? Why aren't you doing this? It was very, very direct. That approach doesn't work with Thai people. Um, you know, my, my boss said he, he used to have the, 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 the kind of the leaderboards on, on the, the, the wall so people could see where they were, the billings. 
And the people at the bottom, you know, naturally you'd think, right, I want to move up. I want to get towards the top. Here it would be embarrassment and, and they would leave. So he had to stop doing that. And, uh-huh. you know, yeah, yeah. So there's ways to manage Thai people. Um, I'm not saying that it's, it's for better or for worse. It's just different. And, um, you know. Is it all about I respect do- or? A lot of it is saving face. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll, gi- I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. So there's a girl in the office that I got on with well. And, um, you, you know, we, she was quite a playful young girl. She was, you, you know. You didn't get on with her too well, did you, James? No, 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 nothing, nothing like that, man. <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> uh, but, you, you know, she, uh, she was bubbly and she liked to have a laugh. And there was a team meeting in, in the boardroom and, and she was mucking about, basically. Her team leader was in the boardroom. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. She, she was mucking about, not doing any work, distracting other people. And I just said to her, I just said, look, if you've if you, if you not got any work you can do, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's three o'clock. If, if you've got nothing you can get on with. And that was it. She never, ever spoke to me again. Never set eyes on me again. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not even joking. Wow. Like, she would not even... She wouldn't even look at me. And, you know, we got on well before that point, but it was because I'd shown her up in the office. Publicly. Um, and yeah, publicly. And, you know, now I would know to take her to one side, take her in the office and say, look, you know, I, I get it's a bit of fun, but, you know, get your head down and do some work. You're distracting people. Yeah. But in the UK, it would just be like, you know, stop mucking around, you know, stop messing about, get on with your work. But here, that doesn't work with most people. And, you know, that can cause problems. So it, it, it's little things like that. So, um, yeah, you, you do have to adapt your style. That's interesting. Um, so uh, outside, of, uh, outside of ping pong shows, what, what, do you do <laughs> where, what, do, what do you do with your spare time and when people come over to visit you? <laughs> Well, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what I can repeat on here, to be honest. This is a professional podcast, is it not? <laughs> uh, to, to, to be honest, I'm, you know, I'm 33 years of age now. If I'd have moved to, to Thailand when I was 23 years of age, I wouldn't have got this far. I'd have probably been going home in a body bag, to be perfect. <laughs> I've, I've calmed down massively. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a girlfriend that very calm and influenced um i just do the usual stuff i like to socialize i like to go for a beer i like to play pool i like to play football um nothing out the ordinary um, and what one of one of the kind of the good things that we've got here is you've got all these amazing holiday destinations that people pay thousands of pounds for travel thousands of miles on your doorstep you know and if i want to pop down to phuket for the weekend you know, if, if I want to go to Chiang Mai for the weekend, I can. Or even across to other places, you know. Vietnam, yeah, no. you know, Singapore. Um, went to Bali in April, for example. You know, they're all within an hour or two's flight. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, just ordinary. And just assimilating in, uh, your girlfriend's Thai, is she? She is, yes, yeah. And so socially, like, has, has that helped with meeting a lot of local people? Um, and and it does, do you have a mixture of like expats in your network and, and locals or do you find yourself veering more towards the expats or? Yeah, yeah, more towards the expats. Uh, I mean, I, I do have uh, I do have some some local friends, but um, it, it's quite strange. Like Western guys and, 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 and Thai guys, they don't really you don't see that many friendship groups. And that's for, 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 for no, no reason whatsoever. I, I think 
um you know i've got lots of lots of people i know thai guys that i know and that they're, they're, they're great people but i think it's just culturally quite different um the, the guys tend to resonate with the girls for may i don't know maybe obvious reasons but um you know most of my social group here are expats um yeah. besides when i go out with my girlfriend or, or you know maybe her friends um, and I, I've got a, a handful of friends that are are, are kind of uh, local to Taiwan, like male male friends. Yeah, very good. No, I'm always I'm always curious about that. I've been an expat in different places, and even in the English speaking ones, I found that I was almost hanging around with even more Irish guys. <laughs> so it's weird, isn't it? You kind of yeah. come all the way over to a different country, and you end up sat in an English bar eating a full English breakfast. It's like, well, why am I doing this? You know. <laughs> I, say, I always say to myself, oh, I'd never be like that. And then I get over there and I'm like, oh, no, this, this feels comfortable. Maybe I'll do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you always think, I mean, you've only just got to look at communities in the UK. You know, you get um, ethnic groups staying communities together. And, you know, it, it, kind, it kind of makes sense. You, you want to kind of feel um, and, and, and see things that are familiar to you. And, you know, some people want to assimilate themselves completely in there. And, you know, they, they, they want to eat nothing but Thai food and they want to, you know, do everything Thai. And it's like fantastic if you want to do that. But the vast majority of expats will, you know, want to be speaking to, you know, English speaking people in their native tongue. Um, you know, they'll want to be having a pint, having a laugh. And, and culturally, you know, the, the Western Thailand is, is, is very different on, 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 many, on many fronts. So I think, you know, expats will always tend to kind of, you know, get on better or, or not better, but, you, you know, probably... Um, have more of a laugh together. And a, a final question. If somebody wanted to make a similar move to what you did, or if you could do it over again, what would you change and what advice would you give them? Um, I think the advice that I would give is, and, and this doesn't just apply to Thailand, I think this applies to, to, to anywhere, make sure you're moving for the right reasons. Um, you, you know, Don't treat it as an extended holiday. I mean, recruitment is a tough job wherever you are. It doesn't matter if you're in Bangkok, if you're in Bristol, Bangalore, where, wherever you are, it's a tough job. It's not a nine to five and it's, it's, you know, it's not a, a walk in the park. So just make sure you're moving for the right reasons. I've, I've, I've seen people um, perhaps move a little bit too soon when they're a little bit younger. Um, perhaps they haven't got the parting out of their system. And Bangkok can consume anyone, and you know, it, it, yeah. I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand, and it, it hasn't it hasn't ended hasn't ended well in some cases. For myself, what I would have liked to have done differently, um, I think I'd have liked to have made more of an attempt to learn the language. Yeah. Um, I think in an ideal world, I'd have maybe have moved over a few months before I started work, um, maybe done a crash course in the language. I always had this like, ambition that I would be, you know, fluent within the language within a year or certainly two years. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not nowhere near. I, I can't even really string a uh, sentence together. I can do taxi tie and that, that's about it, which, which, which is a shame, you know, and I, I'd like to change that. But now I'm just so used to not needing it. Um, it. It seems like a massive chore to do it. And I wish I'd have just done it when I first got here. I know, and, it, and I, part of me thinks that Google or somebody will just release a, a Star Trek-like universal translator. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll, uh, yeah, it'll be well, all it, okay. 
they've got a pretty nifty app which does come in handy um but yeah it's uh it's it's not quite what you were describing well james it's been great talking to you thanks so much for your time um, i've learned so much about thailand and uh it sounds great and it sounds like it's really worked out for you thank you again. yeah it's a fantastic place and i thank you so much for inviting me on the show and you, you know if you ever need um, you know, any further information on, on Thailand or any of your listeners do, you know, just add me to LinkedIn and send me a message, whatever. Thanks. Cool. Take care. Bye-bye. A massive thank you to James for coming on and sharing his story of how he ended up in Thailand. What, a, what an interesting place to be a recruiter. Fair play to him. Next week, I'm speaking to David Eyre about his life in Australia and how he's ended up in Sydney and scaled a couple of different recruitment businesses. Um, we have another podcast as well, the Recruiter Startup School. So jump in and have a listen to that if you want to learn how to set up, scale and sell a recruitment business. I know not everybody wants to move abroad. So, uh, so we're trying to cover that side as well. Hope you're all enjoying the World Cup. I know I am. And we will be back next week. Take care.